Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Ords, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. As I mentioned on a recent podcast, our friends at Lifeway Research did a major project recently asking pastors for the primary issues they're struggling with right now. And in that survey, uh, pastors identified uh, 17 issues that the majority of pastors surveyed said they were issues that needed to be addressed in their lives or in their ministries. Now, I took that list of 17 went back through the podcast that I've done in the past year and discovered that I've addressed uh, several of those issues recently. And so I'm probably not going to do a new podcast on all 17 of these, but I am going to touch on a few of these issues that I either feel uh, need some additional emphasis, even though I may have done something on it in the last year or so, or something new that I really haven't done a podcast on that I've overlooked in terms of a need and perhaps we can talk about in more detail. Now, today's podcast is going to focus on the issue of developing more leaders in ministry organizations, particularly in churches, developing more leaders. In the survey by LifeWay Research, this was the number one need that pastors said they need help addressing. In fact, 77% of pastors surveyed said this was the most pressing need in their ministries. Interestingly enough, I was recently asked to speak on this topic to a group of pastors, and uh, making the presentation resulted in multiple email questions that came back to me and expressions of appreciation for the conference itself, which told me that I was touching a nerve in that context, and then seeing it in this survey report uh, reinforced to me how important this issue really is for pastors and other church leaders. So today, let me see if I can give you some practical help in how to develop more leaders in your church or ministry organization. Now, the first thing I want to help you conceptualize is something I call the leadership development pyramid. Now, in order to see this, you're going to have to imagine a big triangle, and this triangle is going to have four phases moving up from the base uh, to the point. So imagine, if you will, a triangle, and let's call this the leadership development triangle. Across the bottom, across the base, is the first thing I want to say about where leaders come from. This pyramid that I'm creating for you answers that question overall. So I simply pose it to you right now. Where do leaders for your church or organization, where do your leaders come from? Well, most people say, well, they, they, they come from the membership, or they, they come out of the, the pews, or they, uh, they come from among the people. Well, yes, in some sense they do, but there's a very finite number of people in your church who are going to emerge in leadership. So where are your future leaders? This may surprise you. They're among the lost people in your community. Now, I am, by training and conviction, a harvest missiologist, meaning I believe everything essential for the harvest is actually in the harvest. That's why I believe that a person can go into a community or a culture or a country where no one has ever heard the name of Jesus and start preaching and teaching the gospel and a church be formed. No core group, no outside funding, and certainly no transfer leaders. And out of that preaching of the gospel in a place it's never been heard, People will start to come to faith in Christ. Resources will start to be given. Leaders will start to emerge. And as more and more people are reached in the 
harvest, these things expand. People, resources, leaders. Now, most of you don't work in a place where no one's never heard the name of Jesus. You work in a more established ministry context where perhaps the church has been in existence for 10, 20, 50, 100, 200 years. Well, in that context, the principle is still true. If you need more of something in your church, that more is likely out in the harvest waiting to be brought in through the sharing of the gospel and the expansion of the kingdom that occurs when more and more people come to faith in Christ. So the base of a leadership development pyramid is sharing the gospel with the lost. And then the second step going up the pyramid is to assimilate assimilate a new converts and stabilize them in their faith. So we evangelize, then we assimilate and stabilize. And then third, moving again up the pyramid toward the point, third, we make disciples out of these assimilated, stabilized converts. So the base, more converts. Next, stabilize and assimilate. Third, disciple. And then fourth, and this is the pinnacle, the top part of that pyramid, the the point that gets us up to the very tip top, that is make leaders from disciples. So notice the progression. Conversions lead to assimilation and stabilization, which then leads to disciple making, which then leads to leadership development. Now, If you're imagining a triangle right now or imagining a pyramid right now, and you're saying, how do we get more people in that top part of the pyramid? Or how do we get more people in that top part of the triangle? Well, the solution is expand the base. Enlarge the base. Because as you reach more people, you're going to have more converts that are stabilized, assimilated, discipled, and are turning into your future leaders. I am so uh, frustrated and discouraged for pastors who just pound their head against the brick wall of trying to get their existing membership to take on all the leadership that's needed to expand the gospel in their community. If you're doing that, you are sadly limiting the number of people who can emerge as leaders in your congregation. Man, I saw this so vividly when I was a church planter When I moved to Portland, Oregon in 1989, uh, we planted a church with four families in a middle school gymnasium, just four families. Uh, The two of us that came as the church planting team and and two other families that helped us get started. And when we planted the church, we knew that if we were going to have youth ministry, if we were going to have children's ministry, if we were going to have uh, worship ministry, if we were going to have need-meeting ministries in the community to care for uh, the homeless or clothe the, hurt, uh, the, the poor or feed the hungry, if we were going to do all these things, we were going to have to have leaders. And the leaders for making the difference in our community were only going to come about if we went out and won many people to faith in Jesus, assimilated and stabilized them, discipled them, and then watched a few of them emerge as our leaders. And that's exactly what happened. The leadership of our church emerged from the people we reached in the harvest. And I could tell you story after story after story of these, but the podcast is too short for all that today. But let's underscore the answer to the question, where do our future leaders come from? 
by reminding ourselves that the answer is, first of all, from the lost people of your community, that you have to go reach them, assimilate and stabilize them, disciple them, and then out of that group, some new leaders will emerge. Now let's talk about some actual practices you can employ when you move people from the discipleship to the leadership development part of producing more leaders. Now, we're assuming here that you're reaching people with the gospel and you're stabilizing and assimilating them and that you are discipling them. So remember that your leadership development efforts rest on the pyramid that brings us up to and includes a solid disciple-making process in your church. So if you don't have the first three layers of the pyramid in place, reaching the lost, assimilating and stabilizing the converts, and making disciples of those, of those stabilized and assimilated converts, if you don't have that in place, then the rest of what I'm going to talk about here is really not going to be that helpful to you. But most of you do have, in, at least in some means, these aspects of ministry put into place. And so building on all of that, what are some practical things you can then do some practical things you can then do to advance a few people out of the discipleship phase and into the leadership level of your church. Well, I'm going to give you four methodologies very practically to use. The first one is what I call one-on-one -on -one teaching. This is where you, as a leader, select someone who's emerging out of your church's discipleship program and say, I'm interested in you becoming our future preschool director. I'm interested in you becoming our future director of security. I'm interested in you uh, becoming our future church treasurer. I'm interested in you becoming a leader in our church. And in order to help you to do that, I'd like to meet with you and teach you about what that means. Now, this one-on-one -on -one teaching can sometimes uh, have a specific uh position in mind, like preschool t uh, director or security director or treasurer, like I just mentioned, or this kind of one-on-one -on -one teaching can be more general in nature, meaning that you simply say, I want to teach you what it means to be a leader in our church, not towards some specific job or some specific position, but simply raising you uh, in your awareness of what it means to be a leader and helping you to begin to consider the possibilities of how you might join our leadership team. So whether you're on the specific job track or on the general leadership development track, uh, you select a person who you want to advance toward leadership role or leadership role in your church. Now, a couple of practical things I've learned the hard way over these issues. Uh, first of all, these need, need to be same gender relationships, men training men, women training women. Now, you may say, well, I, I really can't do that. I, I'm a pastor, and, I, and I'm a male, and, I, and I've got some women in my church that I really need to raise up into leadership roles. Well, then, instead of doing one-on-one -on -one teaching, do one-on-two or one-on-three teaching. But same gender, one-on-one, -on -one, but multi-gender, let's do it in a small group. Now, a second thing I've learned over the years is these commitments to this one-on-one -on -one teaching need to have a limited time duration. In other words, don't say, I want to meet with you for the next two years. That, that, that's way too long of a commitment to ask people to make. We're talking about, in most cases, volunteers here who can only give you a limited amount of their time. So I want you to ask a person to meet with you 
uh, once a week for the next six weeks. So I'm asking you to do this one-on-one leadership uh, teaching with a limited time duration so that you could have uh, maybe six weeks to spend with this person rather than committing to six months or a couple of years. Now, I learned this the hard way. Uh, When I first started doing one-on-one teaching and developing these relationships uh, to help people become leaders in my church, I would often ask them to commit to a year of training. And one of the things that you learn when you meet with a person like that is sometimes you made a wrong decision, you picked the wrong person, and they don't really have the leadership potential you thought they did. And you find that out two or three months into the process, but hey, they really like meeting with you. You're the pastor. Who wouldn't want one-on-one time with you? And you realize at that point that you have to break off the relationship and it it becomes discouraging and can become even messy or negative. So what I learned was, after going through a couple of these bad experiences, what I learned was it was better to say, would you meet with me every week for the next six weeks? And if we got to the end of six weeks and we saw that we needed more time and I saw that the person was really developing as a leader and this was really working, then I would say, hey, why don't we uh, extend this for another six weeks and let's keep on with this process? And so it's so much easier to make a six-week commitment that you extend for another six weeks than it is to ask someone up front for three months and find out that it was a bad commitment from the beginning. So one-on-one teaching. Remember, this is where you're meeting with a person one-on-one to either put them on a track toward a specific job in your church or put them on a track toward general leadership in your church. And based on which track you put them on will determine the content of your meetings, but you ask them in either same-gender relationships one-on-one or same or mixed-gender relationships one-on-two or one-on-three. You ask them to meet with you uh, to work on a particular curriculum that you will have selected based on the outcome you anticipate for them. So, for example, if you want to meet with someone about the possibility of them becoming the preschool director of your church, then you're going to choose a a, a book or a set of videos that really speak specifically about this role you're asking them to consider. And in this one-on-one teaching, you're going to be teaching them about that role and about what it would mean for them to take on that role in your church. But if it's more of a general leadership uh, opportunity, then you pick a different kind of training material, a book or video or something that really helps them to understand generally what it means to be a leader rather than some job-specific assignment. So the first thing we're going to do is one-on-one teaching. Now, the last thing I'll say about this is most leaders, pastors and others, can only manage about one or at the very most two of these relationships at any one time. Now, you may say, oh, no, I can meet with 10 people a week. No, you can't. Listen, you've got preaching responsibilities and counseling responsibilities and visitation responsibilities and administrative responsibilities, but you have to carve out priority time to meet with one or at most two people on a weekly basis to be shaping them into leadership responsibility and preparing them to take on leadership roles in your church. So don't think of this as I'm going to commit to 10 people. Think of it as who can I pick one or at the most two that I can spend the next two or three months really shaping toward and helping to understand what it would mean for them to come into leadership in our context. Well, that's one method. Now, here's the second one. The second method is called one-on-one coaching. Now, that sounds very similar, one-on-one teaching, one-on-one coaching. And some of the, the, uh, the characteristics of one-on-one coaching and teaching are the same. 
especially the same gender and uh, perhaps limited time and some things like that. However, one-on-one coaching is different in that this is what you do for a person after, after they take on a leadership role. Now, this is one of the common mistakes I made as a young leader and one of the most common mistakes I see people making in church leadership today. And that is we spend all this time winning the person to faith in Christ, stabilizing them, discipling them, and then putting them through a one-on-one teaching uh, to help them learn what it means to take on a leadership role in our church. And then even in that context, we then give them that leadership role. And, 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 and once we've placed them, we kind of clap our hands and say, well, that's done. And on we move to the next person who needs our help. And then that person that we've just put into leadership when the adrenaline rush of getting a new responsibility wears off and the real challenges set in of dealing with the people and handling the budget and figuring out the programming and taking care of the problems, when all of that really settles in, they are discouraged and they often quit because they don't have the proper coaching they need after they took the job to stay with the task. So remember, One-on-one teaching is done to prepare people for leadership, but one-on-one coaching is done after you move people into leadership. And once you move them into leadership, you say, why don't we meet once a month for lunch and we can debrief your new role as our youth minister or your new role as our security director. Uh, Why don't we debrief that over lunch once a month and let me help coach you into actually doing the job now that you've committed to uh, here in our church? So this one-on-one coaching is not nearly as intense, does extend perhaps over some time, but gives the person the support they need to get the just-in-time information that they need to be successful in their job. Now, this may surprise you, but I actually have used this here at Gateway Seminary. I supervise directly four vice presidents. And when a new vice president comes to Gateway, they don't typically need one-on-one teaching because they frequently have years of experience in uh, they wouldn't be asked to be a vice president if they didn't come with a knowledge base and with the capacity uh, to do the job. But what they don't know is how I want the job done here. And that's where one-on-one coaching comes in. And so when we get a new vice president at Gateway, what I tell them is, for the first three months you're here, I want us to meet together every week for lunch. And we'll debrief your job and questions you have and issues that are, that are coming up. And I'll help you in real time with just-in-time information to help you handle the presenting problems that come your way. And we typically do this every week for the first three months. Now, we might miss a week or two. I sometimes have to travel or there's illness, but generally that's our pattern. And then we say the next three months, uh, we'll just meet once a month. And then after that, we usually meet once every two or three months until I'm satisfied that they're fully assimilated and fully uh, functional in their position. Now, remember, I'm available to the vice presidents every minute of practically every day. They can reach me by phone. uh, They can reach me by video conference. They can come up to my office if I'm in the building, and we can have a one-on-one conversation. So it's not like this is the only time I'm spending with them. But even these new vice presidents that know how to do their job need to be coached into the culture of Gateway Seminary, coached into my expectations of how they're going to do certain jobs, and coached on just dealing with the problems that are arising that no one could have anticipated were coming up during the interview process or anything like that. And, I, 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 and during these coaching sessions, I can help them to do their job more effectively. Well, a third 
methodology that you can use to develop leaders is what I refer to as a closed small group. Now, a closed small group is different than an open small group in, turn, in two or three different ways. An open small group is like Sunday school. Uh, you all come. Anybody can be there. It doesn't cost anything to attend. No commitment is expected. A closed small group, on the other hand, is a small group that has that invitation list. It requires a commitment to be a part, and it may even cost some money where you ask a person to buy a book or to contribute to the cost of a set of videos or in some other way make an investment in being present. I know a few pastors who've even told me that they only have closed small groups uh, at times that require a person to make a significant commitment, like 6 a.m. in the morning or something like that. So a closed small group is invitation only for a specific purpose or duration of time uh, with some investment of resource, either time or money, to raise the level of commitment to the group. And then, uh, usually, a closed small group has a policy that if you miss a certain number of, vi- of meetings, uh, you have to drop out of the group. Now, how do you use this in leadership development? Well, you see some people emerging out of your discipleship program, and you say, uh, as a pastor, I have a leadership development class or a leadership development group that I meet with, and I'd like to invite you to be a part of that. And I would encourage you to do this on a continuing rotation type basis if you're using this in a general sense to produce new leaders for your church. So, for example, you might say, I do this for 10 weeks in the fall and 10 weeks in the spring. And I do it every Friday morning at 7 a.m. or every Thursday morning at 6 a.m. And we meet for an hour or an hour and 15 minutes. And it's in its intense pastoral leadership development. And you can develop your own curriculum or your own set of ideas of what you need to do. Or uh, you can buy a book on leadership that you think really communicates the kinds of things you're expecting from the leaders of your church or maybe a set of videos that you're going to watch together. And in these closed group leadership training meetings, you either uh, watch a video or you discuss a book that you're reading or you present material through handouts and through PowerPoints and through other means. But you do this so that you develop kind of a 10-week cycle of what you really want to communicate to these uh, potential future leaders for your church. And you just repeat that over and over again. Uh, So I know some pastors who do like 10 to 12 weeks in the fall, and they repeat that in the spring. Uh, I know another pastor has a a 24-week thing that he does, 12 weeks in the fall, 12 weeks in the spring, and it's kind of a continuation program. It doesn't really matter to me how you want to structure it, six weeks, eight weeks, 10 weeks, 12 weeks, repeated spring, repeated fall. But I want you to develop something that you can use over and over and over again. Because in a closed small group like this, what you're also trying to do is build a commonality of terminology among the leaders of your church. You're trying to build a commonality of understanding of what it means to be a leader. Uh, You're trying to build a a commonality of information base where uh, a group of leaders have shared the same kind of training. And so they speak the same language, have the same vocabulary, have some of the same experiences. That can only be done by you developing something that you can repeat over time. Now, you you may want to spend the first year field testing it and sharpening it, and the second year then institutionalizing it or making it more permanent and then saying, all right, now I'm going to commit to this for the next three or four years and really see if I can't build some leadership development development momentum for our church. So here's three methods you can use, one-on-one teaching, one-on-one coaching, and closed small groups. But there's one more, and that is you can also make use of conferences and seminars. But I've learned one thing that really helped me to use these more effectively over the years, and that is 
Conferences and seminars are most effective when you take people to them rather than send people to them. Meaning that you take people to them and then over lunch or after the conference, you immediately have a, a group session where you say, what did you learn and what can we do about it when we get back home? I learned this really by happenstance, almost it seems by accident. I had always sent people to conferences, but one year I went to a conference with a group and we went out to lunch and I just sort of had a throwaway question. Well, what did you guys learn this morning? And what do you think we can do about it? And it was like I had pulled the plug and they just all started talking at once because they all had so many ideas they wanted to process, but they really didn't know what to do with them. And they, they really didn't know what they could do when they got back home or how they would put it into effect. But after that luncheon, I realized they needed help making application of all this information. You know, I almost didn't go to that conference that day, and I'll tell you why. I knew they weren't going to say anything I hadn't already heard before. I was a seminary graduate. <laughs> I was a leadership training specialist. I was really well-skilled and trained in the area of evangelism, and that's what this particular conference was about. And I thought, you know, I don't really need to go to this, but I do want to get some people in my church exposed to this information, so I ought to just send them. But at the last minute, I thought, you know what? No, I'm going to go with them. And I'm so glad I did because from that experience, I learned, I learned, the secret to using conferences and seminars and leadership development is to go with people and debrief the experience immediately after and help them to concretize how to make application something they'll struggle with if they don't have your guidance and, in essence, your blessing and permission to get that done. So I've introduced you today to the Leadership Development Pyramid, and I've helped you understand that if you're going to reach more, if you're going to have more leaders, you're going to have to go out and reach more lost people with the gospel. Now, once you've done that and you've assimilated them and you've discipled them, there are going to be a few people that will emerge into this leadership development context that you can put people into either one-on-one -on -one teaching, one-on-one -on -one coaching, closed small groups, or conferences and seminars. Now, let me conclude by just saying, when you do this, it's going to be hard work. There is nothing easy about leadership development. Developing leaders takes time. But let me assure you, not developing leaders will take more time. If you don't develop leaders to share the work with you, it's going to continue to fall back on you. It's going to continue to frustrate you. And you're going to continue to find that you are less effective than you need to be and want to be because you did not take time to train more leaders. So I understand developing leaders takes time, but not developing leaders takes more time. Developing leaders may seem inefficient. That's because you're training people. You're not programming machines. I understand that we want to make sure that we don't waste our efforts in ministry, and I certainly don't like wasting mine. But training leaders is inefficient. You're going to have some starts and stops. You're going to have some do-overs. You're going to have some mistakes along the way. It's going to take you a while to get a pattern established that you can use repetitively and over and over and over to get the work done. It's going to take some time. It may seem inefficient, but get with it anyway. You know, when you develop leaders, it has a, an impact on you as the senior leader that's interesting. It, it lessens your organizational control. The more people you train and the more authority and responsibility you give them, the less authority and responsibility you will ultimately exercise on a daily basis, and you'll see more and more and more people around you doing more and more and more things, 
And quite honestly, this is kind of a dirty little secret of ministry leadership, but some leaders don't want to train other leaders because they like to do it all themselves. They like the accolades. They like the power. They like the sense of accomplishment. But when you train other leaders, it's going to lessen your organizational control. But on the converse of that, it's also going to enlarge your organizational impact. You're going to do more because you've empowered more people to lead around you. I think about Gateway Seminary. You know, I could teach all the classes and I could administrate all the meetings and I could plan all the budgets and I could go to speak at all the events. And the seminary would be very, very small. But because I've empowered vice presidents and faculty members and other employees, really empowered them to go out and do these things in the name of Gateway Seminary, our organizational impact is greatly expanded. So, developing leaders takes time. Not doing so takes more time. It may seem inefficient. You'll always have some do-overs and some stops and starts and some things you have to go back and try to improve. But do it anyway. Don't avoid developing leaders out of a fear that it will lessen your organizational control. Instead, recognize that doing so will enlarge your organizational impact. And then finally, I would just say, when you start developing leaders, just accept this hard reality. You're going to have some failures along the way. Not everybody turns out quite like you hoped they would. But you'll also have some serendipitous surprises of people God will bring along that will astound you at what they're able to do after you have done a process of training with them. The number one need, pastors said in a national survey they needed help addressing, is developing more leaders. The podcast today will help you do that as you lead on.